0: Welcome to Disruptive Successor, a show for next generation leaders in family businesses and entrepreneurs who want to disrupt the status quo and take their existing business to a whole new level. We all know that what got us here isn't going to get us there. This show will provide inspiration, advice, and resources to help you create massive impact. This podcast is sponsored by myself, Jonathan Goldhill, and my company, The Goldhill Group, where we provide coaching for growing companies. I'm Jonathan Goldhill, and my purpose is simple, to guide entrepreneurial leaders in family businesses towards more freedom and fulfillment. I want entrepreneurs to get clarity around the changes that will make them and their businesses more successful so they can experience the same freedom I've enjoyed in my life. Our proven practices challenge business owners to think differently about their business and how they're running it and quite literally become game changers in our clients' companies. Learn more at thegoldhillgroup.com website, where you can schedule your free strategy session. Hi, it's Jonathan Goldhill, and welcome back to another episode of the Disruptive Successor Show. Today, we're gonna to be talking about exit planning with Christine McDonnell, a serial entrepreneur, author, and speaker, and founder and principal business intermediary of the Magnolia Firm, a boutique M&A brokerage firm helping business owners achieve the perfect exit. Christine's firm has helped entrepreneurs cross the chasm from business ownership to a successful exit, all without compromising their values or dream outcome. Her firm specializes in helping owners achieve a 100% success rate for exits, with most closings coming in at either full asking or over asking price. After founding, growing, acquiring, and selling, 20 or more of her own businesses across several verticals, including cleaning, wellness, beauty, technology, exotic cars, and real estate, Christine realized that there was a formula behind the perfect business sale and now dedicates her full time and attention on helping others do the same. Christine has been recognized with numerous awards through the years, including the Small Business Administration Business Person of the Year and Entrepreneur Magazine's 100 Most Brilliant Companies for her first venture, Cleanology. Christine, welcome to the show. Great Thanks for you.
1: having me Jonathan. I appreciate it. I'm excited awesome. for this.
0: Awesome. I usually like to start these shows with understanding a little bit about where you came from and how that context fits in with family businesses because this show is designed for next generation leaders typically in family businesses. So I know you started in your family business with your mom and dad in their HVAC company. So tell us that story. When did you join What was the? what was it like? Walk us through it.
1: Yes. And even a little prior to my dad launching, he was already in a corporate doing HVAC and general contractor also. But, and then he slowly worked weekends and nights and started his own HVAC company. But prior to that, even, I was, had a little lemonade stand and snow cone stand. And I was always trying to figure out ways to make money. So I swear I was born to be an entrepreneur. And yeah, so he started his HVAC company. Maybe it's like, Nine or 10 years old around there full time. So he went off full time and he was its sole proprietor. So he's the one going and fixing this with Lancaster. If anybody knows where that is, it's a high desert. It could get to 120 degrees in the middle of summer. And when I turned age 11, he let me be the secretary. And when you're that age, you want to play secretary. So, so then I would try to make my voice older and professional. And to this day, people still call it my phone voice because my phone, my voice will shift when I'm on customer service calls. And even for my own company, all the, these years later. And yeah, my mom helped him too. So I, with all the uh, more business-like stuff, they did it together. And people would even cuss me out sometimes. It's a bit 120 degree weather and their AC is broke. People are not happy. And my dad grabbed the phone and just say, do you know you're cussing out an 11-year-old? And so once I turned 14, my parents had gotten a divorce. I stayed with my dad because we were so close. And overnight, took over everything my mom had been doing. So counts receivables, payables, dispatching. By then, he had a couple employees. Yeah, everything. Paying all the bills for the house. My dad would give me a stack of signed checks once a month. And I would pay all the business and all the personal expenses for everything. Again, you at 14, you want to be treated like an adult. So I actually loved it. I got to drive that young. Give me the keys of the car. But what's funny, everybody listening in these family businesses, especially the ones that unfortunately have to go through a divorce during all this stuff, people would start. It was called P, Heating and Air. So Kevin and Pam. Then people would ask after the separation and he'd say, oh, Kevin and Paul. Paul's my silent partner. (laughs) (laughs) He was quite the character.
0: So... I think this is pretty typical of a lot of next generation leaders in family businesses, which is they grew up in the business. And then they looked at the business and thought, I could probably run this better. I could do certain things that my dad or dad and mom just don't do all that well. Whether it's I could put in some systems, I could put in maybe some technology or They don't really understand social media. They don't understand marketing. They don't understand this online web stuff. And yeah, yeah, they're still using like an Earthlink or AOL email address. So let me help them professionalize. I'll help them put a website together. And they start slowly putting these things in place. And I so that's a very typical, I think, profile of some of the people that listen to this show. And so knowing now what you know now, if you knew then. And you were a young adult. What kind of things might you have tried to inspire your dad to do in his business to change it? And oh, yeah, this so is the
1: easy question. Because <laughs> it was during. So again, as a 14-year-old, and I'll date myself, it's fine. This is 94, right? And that's just barely starting, barely. We got a home computer right around 93, 94. But prior to that, it was phone book. And my dad just had the little one-liner in the white page section. I'm like, Dad, so we just thought really big, even back then, bigger than he did. It's, Dad, let's get a full page ad in the yellow pages. Dad, let's get a billboard in the city. Hey, put a magnet on your truck that says, you know, what you do so people see it on your work truck. And he's, no, that's a liability. Somebody's going to hit my truck and sue me because I'm a business owner. So it's he was a risk taker, but not in that sense. And Um, he wasn't a marketer. I've always been a marketer and salesperson, big time marketer. So so then, and then we got the home computers in 94, 93, 94. I had it in my bedroom because I I love computers even back then. And it was MS works. So it wasn't even a word. And you could put all the paper clients, all the clients one by one. I put them in the system and started using computer tech in the business, putting tech in his business. So yeah, those are things immediately. And then having him hire people. So I put that pressure on dad. You can't do all, you're overbooked. You can't do all these jobs yourself. I know you enjoy it. He actually loved it. Never missed a day of work, out the door at 7 a.m. Insane work ethic that I inherited. So yeah, it's like I hire more employees and just super, just manage them. Like I just so, was thinking a little differently.
0: So your dad was definitely the entrepreneur in the e-myth Michael Gerber book, the,
1: te- yeah, a, the technician uh,
0: technician who did everything. He was very small amount of manager and leader, visionary and mostly technician. Uh, and a lot of people, maybe of your dad's age and maybe education, maybe interest or time would be like, I'm not going to read that book. That's not I don't have time for reading a book about business, even if it's a story or something like that. And I'm not saying that was who your dad was, but this is just very typical. How do you convince you're a young person, you're 14, 15, 17, 20, whatever. How do you convince the, your parent that you know what you're talking about and you're, you're adding some value here by putting a website together, by doing some marketing, by hiring other people? And maybe you just can speak from your own experience with your dad. Did he see the light of day there to do all those things?
1: I stayed, again, I'm 42 now. So that's a way, a little ways back course, back then. But as I'm trying to remember best I can, it, he's the type of person you don't tell, if you tell him what to do, he's it, ignore you. So I I knew that about him. He's pretty set in his ways. It's fine, hard worker. And backing up to the education piece and the reading piece. So he barely, you know, barely graduated high school, hated school, never read a book. And so that was not even an option on the table, right? I never suggested to do that. And but again, made up with it with hard work, grit, determination, like never failing, never taking no for an answer. So I think that's the trade-off, right? Yeah. yeah. No, I just would say you should do this, you should do that. Maybe one time, and then you wouldn't do it. So I didn't. I was just not gonna pressure money. I'm like, okay, just do what you want.
0: It's tough. Look, for those who don't know, the E myth is the E stands for entrepreneur, and the myth is that most small business owners are business owners by default, not by design. They're not entrepreneurs. They're technicians masquerading as small business owners. And sadly, for most of them, just because they know plumbing or HVAC or whatever the trade is, it doesn't mean they know anything about running a plumbing or HVAC business. And they learn through the school of hard knocks because they start Getting customers and have bills and have a liability and then get trucks and payments. And then they have to hire people. And there's these HR laws in California, which are all too onerous. And so there's a lot that goes into it. All right. Let's fast forward at 2000, 2014, nine years ago, he passed at age 57 and he had no plan. Did you know so, that? Did
1: you, yes. Did you know
0: that he, you knew? So, So this is not unexpected, right? Given what you saw.
1: The plan. Well, when I say plan, I mean, he didn't have a will and I knew he'd never have a will. He said Mm -hmm. that my whole life. Hey, I'm not going to have a will. You guys can fight it out. Again, he was this risk taking. He lived that kind of die young. What is that saying? Yeah. Live fast, die young. That was his style. Smoke, right. chain smoking and eating red meat. And I never stopped him on that. Again, he's not somebody, if you tell him not to do something, he's just going to do it even more, probably, which is fine. And it, that we got along great. And I never told him, stop smoking, don't do this, and get a go get a will and this and that. He would just laugh and say, you guys can fight it out. I'm not getting will. So that was like his joke. And when he, I was already had my own business down in San Diego. I get this, the call from the sheriff's department, which is 7 a.m. Your father's passed. I drive as fast as I can, three hours up. It's chaotic there. It's so chaotic. Like I'll never forget. You got employees that are showing up at 7, 8 a.m. You've got his office managers in the house. Like he was running it from the home the whole time. Okay. I see the dining room table stacks of unpaid past due bills, like okay. insane, insane. And just quickly, and I just launched my second location just three weeks prior of my spa. Mm-hmm. I was already in my own chaos, and I mm-hmm. go in there and I just go in fix it mode. Just I'm good about just being very logical and non-emotional when it comes to business and jumping in and just being a fixer. So I'm just like, okay, employees got to be paid for what they did this week because they're standing there. What do we do? It's a Thursday, the day before payroll. I jump into his QuickBooks, password's like 1234. So <laughs> okay, it's um, easy. And I'm like, let me to have a business over 22 years and just watch it disappear overnight. It just broke my heart. So I'm like, can I rescue this business? Do I have much HVAC experience? No, but I can learn and I can I can at least try to sell it real quick. So I jump in the QuickBooks, like the balance sheet's a mess. It's upside down. The business isn't profitable. And I just, again, I just didn't have the bandwidth at that moment. I was just like, I can't even, it's going to be too difficult to rescue this. And um, obviously immediately shut it down. Called a couple of competitors that were friends to just say, do you want to grab some of the clients? You can have them. Yeah, it was pretty crazy sure.
0: How long did it take? Do you remember?
1: Oh, it was fast. My friends couldn't believe, it was one day. People couldn't believe it. I went up there on a Thursday, I handled stuff, came back Friday or Saturday and they were just like, I'm like, I just had to get everything going and just, yeah, it just had to be done in one day. That's my style. I move very fast. I make very fast decisions. I don't him and hawk. And yeah, it was one day.
0: Wow. Amazing. And not to bring up Old, old feelings. Cause maybe it was a long enough time ago, but then you had to deal with his estate, whatever was left of it, because when you don't have a will, it could go to probate. And then you've got now you're dealing with the courts and the state. And was it complicated? Did you, did it drag you into a lot of other planning? Cause let this be a learning lesson for those who are listening, who are older, who maybe don't have those things together. This is what happened to this young lady. And she had to take care of it. So
1: yeah. And then just for listeners, because they're probably curious what happened. He had heart failure. So he died in his sleep. So his heart just stopped. So yeah, it was very sudden. <laughs> Your listeners will love this. Here's some comedy moment for the podcast listeners. My mother, when they divorced, she emptied out the house. Like we made my dad just sat on the living room floor that day and laughed. Again, he thinks everything's funny. He never got stressed ever. We have 50,000 to the IRS at one moment. He didn't, he thought it was funny. He said, we'll get paid when they get paid again. And I inherited that. My team's, wow, nothing ruff, ruffles your feathers. You just handle stuff. You don't freak out. You don't get stressed. And I'm like, again, that's another amazing trait I inherited, honestly. So he thinks it's funny. She empties the house out and he kept the business and he kept the house. And that was massive. So of course, he gets upset about the child support for my sister because she went with my mom. And I'm like, dad, you got to keep the house in the business. That's massive. Of course, he bought my mom out, gave her money, blah, blah, blah. She takes furniture out of the house and uh, we're sitting on the floor and he uses car credit cards and gets furniture again. And, uh, and we went back to normal. And this is the fu- the funny part. I don't know if it's funny, but <laughs> to say state of California is going to take everything. So that day when I came in again, I have a beautiful, wonderful life in San Diego. I didn't need to walk into his house and say, I'm taking this, that and this. It didn't, I have all that stuff. Things don't matter to me. I was just trying to fix everything real quick. And my sister starts walking around. Oh, I'm going to take this and this. And she hadn't talked to him in years. And I'm just like, oh, whatever. I can't deal with that right now. And long story <laughs> short, I come back that weekend. So on Saturday, Friday night, I get cold from a neighbor. And he's like, Chrissy, he's, there's a U-Haul backed up to your dad's house. And your mother and your sister are emptying it out. But But I wasn't even... I would say he's rolling in his grave right now, but he wasn't even in the grave yet. I'm like, how is that possible that a wife can empty, take everything you own 20 years later again a second time, dad? Because you didn't have a will. Look at right. that happen. Right. So I'm like,
0: quick take it. It's like hitting the uh, the drugstores, breaking the glass, going into the drugstore and like a riot, like stealing what you can because there's no again. cameras on. Nobody knows what's going on.
1: And even, I'm just like, I call my sister. What the heck are you doing? And I, again, I just let them be. I'm not getting involved in any drama. Yeah. I'm drama free. And when I was there that Thursday, there were neighbors knocking on the door. Hey, Kevin owes me $10,000. I'm like, do you have anything in writing? And they're like, no, your dad. And I, some of it was fake for sure. He had the title to his car. It was like, she, he borrowed 30K and it was legit. So I was like, oh my God, I'm like, here's the car title. Give me the car title, sign, not, e- not legal, it's fine. I felt worried, I'm just like, here's the keys of his bedroom. Here's the title, sign, boom. I know it's not the 30K, I'm so sorry. It was those kinds of items that you're just trying to figure out. But yeah, when they emptied the house, I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah, and mm-hmm. then the state probably took the house after that. And wow. The house I grew up in, which is crazy. Yeah, I
0: bet. So, Sounds like this could have been a pivotal moment for you, like a moment of truth. Were you, was it then that you maybe walked away and said, okay, this is crazy. Nobody should ever have a business without a plan, without a will, without a, an exit strategy in place. Was, was that already, or do you think you were, you, your thinking was maybe cemented or baked a little earlier in life where you saw your dad and, go, and said, okay, this is not how you run a business or how you run a household
1: without a doubt immediately i came back to san diego and i put in place i had a trust already i forget who the executor was of i wanted a business Well, was my coach is my will the business would actually go to my business coach because he knows my business inside out mm-hmm. okay would it go to a parent no like they don't know my business inside out again that's my situation because I'd want to protect my business. I would oh, I'd be so upset if it just collapsed overnight, right? scene has gone. Nobody can take it over. The business is shutting down. My employees, everybody. Coach would take it over. He knew that. So I just had a very crystal clear. Hey, my bookkeeper's been with me for over a decade. Here's Chris's contact because she has access to all my business and my personal financials, right? So take it. Do whatever you can. Keep my business going. I don't, it's donate a part, this part to charity. So I had outlined that very crystal clear, my game plan completely when I got back and this unpaid bill stress of a pile. I took a picture because I'm like, I never want my life to get to where I've got a stack of past due bills and the stress that probably brought. So definitely changed some things in my own situation.
0: You've had a number of businesses as an adult along the way that you've grown, acquired, sold. What have been some of the specific learning lessons from some of those specific businesses? Tell us a little bit about. Oh,
1: a lot of great ones. I think team, and I talk about this on a lot of podcast interviews, your team, I know it's like customers come first is what people say. I don't believe that. I think your team comes first and then in turn, the customers will be happy. And if there's a nightmare customer, then my team knows I'm going to let the customer know. I'm going to say they're not a fit not fair to my team. I have A plus players. I give them all the freedom in the world. They want to take time off. They get the time off. I'll make it work on my end. They're dependable, reliable, driven. So those lessons, it's like higher, slow, fire, fast. I'm number one, the Emeth was a great book for me. I'm glad you brought it up. I was fortunate enough, gosh, back 15 years ago, to spend a, like a mastermind with Michael Gerber. He lives here in San Diego. Yes. It was a last minute thing. It was free. He was launching his second book. Um, Gosh, I'm blanking on the name on it. It's really good. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I read it's the book, but I don't remember say, the name. Yeah, dealing yeah, and white. I yeah but when that. he was
0: doing his visioning work, I think.
1: Yes. Around and I, it was a room of 25 people and I was young and I was so lucky to spend three days with him. And I had read the emails already. And in my cleaning company, I was still the technician coming out to entrepreneur and working my way out so fast. Cleaning company is my first job from day one. I'm like, I'm going to clean houses until the day I can hire a manager and more people cleaned with three people, a year and a half of cleaning condos <laughs> in downtown San Diego. But that was the hard work and the grit and the sweat equity. I didn't have money when I was 23 to start or purchase a business. So e was a great changing book. For Our work week was another book that kept me from dealing... That I learned how to delegate. That was another massive lesson. My cleaning company, that first manager, the poor thing, standing behind her and watching every keystroke. I was a massive micromanager. Read For Our week, went to Thailand for two weeks... And I know that was age 26 and it changed every. I delegate. You ask my team, I do not micromanage anymore. <laughs> they are adults. They're amazing. I don't need to manage micromanage them. So yeah, I'm just a resource for them.
0: That's great. What was one of the hardest businesses that you've had to exit and why?
1: But that's easy. So I had a tech, it was going to be my last rodeo after it was my 10th startup. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is... <laughs> let's start like maybe calling it a day pretty soon. But what's the biggest company I could possibly, hardest and biggest. Like I'm one of the biggest, I love challenges. And it was the biggest challenge. So in 2018, I said, I want to start a tech company. And I had a great idea for one. It was in the real estate sector and tech international based. I don't think you could get any bigger than that two technical co-founders I brought in. They were amazing. poured a ton of money into it. We got into Techstars, which is a top accelerator program in Amsterdam within four months. I moved out there. That was huge. We had a possible, we had an LOI on the table nine months later for 9.2 million. We were pre-revenue. It was 2019. It was the heyday of insane, ridiculous valuations, which again was, I learned a ton. I learned how to raise capital. I it, I learned so much in those three years, that it was the hardest three years of my life. 80 uh, hour week, seven days a week. I didn't know tech, so imagine that learning curve. And it, I love to learn, but it was like drinking out of a fire hose. I didn't know how to raise capital back then, but I learned. Waking up in the fetal position, <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like it was massive amounts of pressure and stress, especially taking investor money. Usually bootstrap.
0: But those companies are usually built with some kind of exit in mind. So that's
1: another mistake did, I made. Did you not have thing. an
0: exit in mind going into that business?
1: N- no, that was another big mistake. I never have the ex. And again, this might be contrarian. When I see people, I've seen a lot of people make the mistake too. When you're focused on that dollar amount at the end of the road. Oh, we're going to exit for this much and you're distracted. Okay. That's all you're thinking about. It needs to yeah, be maybe in the back of your head, it's okay. But every other business I had, I never knew when I was going to exit. And I never knew had a dollar mountain in, in, as a plan. I just concentrate on building the most amazing company, the best company, the best team. That's all I cared about. That's all I focused on. And the exit will come naturally. The right. That I agree price. with. It. I don't think it's
0: an exit price that you have in mind, but it's who might be the acquirer. What, you know, is it, uh, you know, um, I just watched this interview with Brian Chesney at Stanford Graduate Mm -hmm. Business School, Airbnb founder. And for them, example would be an exit strategy would be a large hotel chain, a Marriott or Mm -hmm. something. Of course, Airbnb might be larger than Marriott at this point in terms of their valuation. So it might not be a, but it will be some kind of a, Who's the natural acquirer here or do we have things in place? And so let's shift gears to exit strategy or exit planning or exiting, however you want to call it. Do you believe everyone who owns a business should have an exit strategy or plan or some ideas about understanding what it's going to look like?
1: Definitely get stuff in line. So we'll shift now, especially because I'm so hand at the Magnolia firm. That's what we do is we're on the sell side. So we've got sellers come to us. We list, we get, we get them to exit. I kid you not. And again, we work with a lot of younger demographic, of course, it, or if they're older and they have kids, I always ask, why right. wouldn't your two sons take this? It's such a great company. It's cash flow, And the father's disappointed. They're like, they don't want it or, Oh, they're already super successful, like on their own. So I got to, I got to sell it. But the majority of our sellers come to us and say, I wanted to exit yesterday. And they yeah. have no plan, and their stuff's not together. And again, I thrive on chaos. Obviously, You guys, it sounds like I do already. And so I'm like, okay, boom, we're going to go to market as fast as we can. It's a hot seller's market still to the day. Boom, let's go live. Let's go a little higher just to test the market. And simultaneously, we're fixing their company. So it's okay. You gotta outs, you're still doing these roles, like business dev or some of the books. Let's start outsourcing that as fast as we can to your team. Just d- delegate, like if the business is wrapped around them. So everybody listening, number one, make sure the business is not wrapped around you. Over time, you're just gonna start delegating and you're gonna work yourself out of a job. Um, Your reputation has to be spectacular. I think that's another massive value add for a buyer. If you have perfect reputation, focus on that. Getting your books clean, just make sure they're in QuickBooks and, and straighten out. And the personal expenses are fine. Guys, I'm not the IRS. And they use the CPA and they get it because those are ad max. And not everybody knows that. So they're like, oh, no matter what, we're going to add it back to the adjusted EBITDA, And that's your multiple is going to be based on that. So as long as you're keeping track and justify the, ex- it's personal, people get it. So I would say that those are the main ones. And so we're, we're fixing things as we go and we're cranking up the sales as fast as we can. We want them to crank the sales as much as they can and the revenue while we're concentrating on finding the buyer or what the acquirer.
0: What size companies typically are you dealing with? Is we're there right, a, yeah, like we a sweet th- spot?
1: A sweet spot. We've moved up quickly, up market very quickly because we've only been in business 16 months. So we're at about the three, three million to 10 million okay. is what we're working at. In terms uh, of revenues or enterprise? Re- purchase price. Sorry. Purchase, purchase price. price. Okay. Yeah.
0: And so think of a business that was very owner dependent. The business that you were selling was very wrapped around the owner. I don't know. Can you, are you thinking of one? Already? Okay. okay great. You- Do you remember how long it took to sell that business? And what did you have to do to get it like seller ready or get it sold?
1: Love it. Love it. Great question. I think the sweet spot, everybody listening, you're going to work your way out to zero. Everybody knows that. 10 hours a week is great. Most of our sellers are at 10 hours a week. We're kind of doing marketing, sales, or checking in on the team. Totally reasonable. Okay. To say zero is probably not even believable. This person, she was at about 10 to 20. It wasn't the hours worked. It was, she was the face of everything, face Mm -hmm. on the website, face all over the place, still managing the team, very hands-on, 10 hours, 20 hours a week. But she had written a book. So she literally was the thought leader and expert in teaching people how to go to college overseas. Okay. So teaching adults and parents, here's how to go to college overseas. It's a lot less expensive. Immediately, I'm like, she faced on the book. I'm like, I thought it is because I have experience in authoring books is, hey, we're going to do an updated version for the buyer. And we're going to, and we told each potential buyer, hey, We're going to do a revised version of the book, and then you're going to be the co-author. Your name's going to be on with the owner together. Yeah, and it was just a little hack because I know the publishing industry. Book can even be updated anyways. Immediately, that buyer is a thought leader. Automatically has that that kind of title because they're now published author in the space. Technically,
0: how did you fade out the visibility of the founder and seller over time? Did you keep that person's face?
1: No, front and center no, that I just mean, sort of fade on. away. Yeah. I I'm,
0: I'm th- yeah. By the way, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking of a similar situation and I'm thinking that, that Colonel Sanders, his face is still on the Kentucky Fried Chicken. But I'm trying to think of other companies that have the, uh, the person associated with the brand.
1: No, there's a restaurant standing. I just found this out recently and I know you're in Southern California. It's called George's on the Cove. It's in La Hoya. It's very popular. And somebody said they're like, George's is and George doesn't own it anymore years ago. So sometimes they do need to stay at my spa. I exited six years and five years ago. They still have me in the brochure That's right, what does, right. as the founder. Right. So my face is still, I'm the founder, which is fine. I mean, off the website immediately. We're taking the client on. It's like day one. Come on, come off the website. Again, you're under the team as the founder, but is your face right. on the homepage? No. So you're just doing it as quick as you
0: can. But that's the hardest thing. If you've got a very owner-dependent business and you don't have a systems-dependent business, and if this person is still working full-time in the business, I helped the client sell their business. They got an $8 million price tag on it. It was probably a $5 million revenue business storage business and he was so involved. But he it was clear that someone else could run that business better. But there was no name or face on the brand of the business, which I think makes it a little bit harder.
1: Yeah, that's a great and then to that point, real quick too, is they're probably gonna have an earnout. Can avoid an earnout if they're not so did that I'm guessing he had yeah. a what two He had earn a out?
0: million dollar earnout, which wasn't too bad given that given the price tag, maybe it was a million and a half. So a pretty good, you know, Pretty good down payment. Yeah, so not impossible. Yeah. If the business yeah. is
1: wrapped around you, just be expecting it to earn out.
0: Yeah. Speaking of which, down payments or downstroke on a purchase, do you find that there's a rule of thumb? Because I've I read on, I think it's Biz Buy Sell, which is a seller's marketplace. The research suggests that most people buy a business with about 35% down and the rest is paid out over time. But I'm suspecting that represents a large universe of very small businesses that require that urno. So I in the size out. space that you're talking about the 3 to 10 million dollar price or enterprise value what size what or what percentage of that price is paid up front? you have any
1: idea? Uh, no. Or, so we're again, hot seller's market. So yeah. will this change when it flips? P- probably. We won't ever let our seller carry back more than 20%. Okay. That's going to be at an interest rate of anywhere from seven to 10%. So in the end of the day, they'll end up, as long as they get paid back, I wouldn't do an, I wouldn't do that over two years. We haven't had a single earn out yet. Again, mm-hmm. they're working 10 hours a week. Come on. They could be right. replaced. There's a training and a, a, offloading process. But nowhere else, Because I, I have a lot of colleagues that have sold big companies and they, I think only two of them, I was actually shocked, stayed for the the one at $5 million on the table. So they get a choice but to stay two years. They're hard. They're hard. I'm sure you know. When a big yep. corporation acquires your company, oof, it's out two years.
0: Of the size transactions that you're talking about, are these mostly buyers like corporations? Or are you also selling to individuals, financial buyers?
1: When we were down market at the three, when I first started, I was at the 300 to 500K mark. Uh, They sold a lot quicker. The money was still good. They are harder because everybody told me they're like, Christine, when you go out market, it'll be easier. And I'm yes. like, Oh, it doesn't make sense, but they'll take longer. And we're not seeing that at work. We sold one in three weeks at 3.5 full price. Wow. So three, <laughs> but wow. I've sold little guys at three, three weeks also. So over time, I'm going to see the data. That's not necessarily true that it'll take longer, but the work is easier. It's so funny. So yeah, the little guys were all cat because it's easy. There people were pulling a home equity line of, of credit. For 300 K, 500 K, all cash, full price, over asking. It was very, I don't think I'd have been going to seller. Maybe one of them did a little seller, have a little bit of skin in the game. Seller carry.
0: Makes sense. The rest,
1: the rest are, those were private buyers. You're exactly right. Those were all private buyers. Mm -hmm. One of them was a strategic, was a roll up. And then here, now we're going up mark. No, but the 3.5, it's a first time buyer coming out of corporate. So that's really everybody listening. People got a taste of that freedom during COVID. You know, people in corporate and they, they want out, so they're going to get an SBA loan. They're pulling home equity lines and they're buying their first business, which is exciting. So yeah, this one three point five and amazing. million, and he's never yeah he's amazing never that it sold
0: so fast. I yes. would think, and from my experience, the average time to from contact to contract of so that would be the. What would that be called in terms of the cycle of the sales cycle? I don't know. From yeah. would be about nine months, would be my guess. From the moment that you make contact with the and they sign a contract to hire you to the time that the deal closes. I would think nine months would be an average. Is that not the case in your experience or not the case in today's market?
1: Yeah, and again, I can't wait until we have five years under our bill where the metrics are more... Resi- right. I just feel like we don't have enough yet to right. garner perfect data. But let's use that 3.5, which knock on wood closes tomorrow. It's the mm-hmm. seller's birthday, so we're super excited for him. Mm-hmm. That was an SBA loan. So we got okay. the signed... LO- we got the offer within three weeks, sign the LOI, jumpstart the process. Everybody at record speed. The buyer's so excited. The seller's excited. They get along. We're jamming, but it's SBA. Which I was like, oh, the advantage is it's all cash to my seller, but but that could take at least
0: thirty days to close. Oh,
1: I had one, my my spot, I was ninety, it was over ninety days. So this one, it would have been seven weeks, which would have been a record on the SBA front. But of course, there's an EIDL loan in the mix that the seller wanted to keep. And then the lawyers battled the purchase agreement back and forth for weeks and weeks. I think we'll be from listing to close. I think we're still under three months total, mm-hmm. which is
0: good. you. Yeah. Amazing. So- is it common? Does an EIDL loan always go with the... The buyer of the business, is it attached to the individual, the seller?
1: Those are the COVID relief funds of yep. loans, which everybody knows, which right. are the golden loan. You got a 30-year right. at 3.25, <laughs> yeah. 3.75, 30 years. They delayed the payments for like a year and a half. This person had a 500K one and didn't really touch a lot of it. So send in an account, he loves the money. When I even said, I'm like, oh my God, that's just the best loan. Exactly. And then SBA, if you got to pay that back, and then it's why can't we do a carve out why can't I move it to my other LC? Because it is personally guaranteed by him. Sure. And we tried and it pushed in a week. And it got to the point which was kind of, I was like, sellers look, I don't want to sell my company if I can't keep this loan. I'm like, you're telling me right now that you're <laughs> gonna three. I right? like three million. Pay the freaking loan back. Yeah. And they take it out of the... And he got a little confused. I think he thought he needed to pay it immediately. And I go, no, it's coming out of the loan immediately. But, or a payment, right? Right Probably, Here you go, 3.5. Boom, we're going to pay off the loan immediately. Here's $3 million in your pocket. What, it was like about a week or two. I'm like, oh my gosh. But again, we it's the winner's curse, Right. And it's the, what if the pigs get fed, hogs get slaughtered. It was, oh, you got me full price in three weeks. So can't you do it again? I was like, I think we got pretty, like, I can't guarantee that. <laughs> and now your sales, we told you to focus on your sales until the wires, the wire hits. And his, he got distracted on the sell because it was a lot of work and boom, sales went down the last month. And I go, this is not going to be, probably going to be 3.2. You're going to lose 300K. Is it worth it? So that was, again, we get creative. We tried our best to ke- get them to keep the loan. And, I've done a transfer of the EIDL loan. So the buyer assumes the loan, uses the church's purchase price because it's so cheap. Amazing. Yeah.
0: Wow. Are most of your deals auction type situations or does it first buyer with the best price and a good offer we'll go with that?
1: No, great question. So we teased that 3.5 on our website because we we're still packaging it. It's mm-hmm. about two weeks to get it, to take it to market. Teased it out and this buyer saw it on our web. He heard me on a podcast. Actually, it was so funny. And he went to my, went to the website and he saw the listing and he's, Oh my God, I'm super interested. So we didn't even, we still officially took it to market while we were negotiating with him. And it was just like bananas. And we just got another listing that's going live this week. That's literally almost an identical type of company, nice. which is software, HubSpot integrator, Salesforce integrator, really hot area. So we're teasing it on the website. Let's see if we could go two for two. So we do put LOI deadlines just to kind of people to make a decision and move towards some sort of a deadline. If my seller, if we get an offer that's just spectacular with an amazing buyer, and we only deal with amazing buyers for sellers, I think that makes the transaction even sweeter and easier. Then we will pull it off the market. We'll just say, hey, if this is your offer, highest and best, we will actually take it off the market right now. And then that's happened where the buyers, I don't want to lose the
0: opportunity. Great. It's interesting. I went and looked at a house this weekend, actually. They had three open houses scheduled in one weekend. It's so the first. And I asked the brokers and I said, so we're interested. Let me give me, give me an idea. Have any, you gotten some offers already? And they, they had already had two offers. One before any of the open houses even started. And that was curious to me. i was like, how did that happen? Just, yeah, a neighbor got wind that we were going to be selling this house. And they wanted to move their friends or their family or whatever. I can't be specific, but so they put in the first offer. So See,
1: competitive bid, and you want uh, that FOMO and that urgency exactly. and that those competitive bids.
0: Yeah, amazing. All right, what haven't we touched upon in terms of exit planning? Maybe exit planning for family businesses. Any closing thoughts as we start to wrap up here?
1: Yeah, I love what you offer and do. So, of course, in a perfect world. And we do have some that are spending about two years getting hitting a certain EBIT at because they have a certain price in mind. So they're working backwards from that. But what you do, you come in, you put the systems in place that most businesses <laughs> don't have, to Very be sure. honest. And do you need or are they gearing up to, to have somebody, one of their children in here as a business, which is great. And the, the person, the kids already in the business and they love it. Maybe you can make sure that they're well-equipped to do that. So it's not some overnight out of nowhere scrambling to figure out what the heck's going on with the business and try to take it over. Love that. I think that's massive for people it's to make sure there's systems in place, standard operating procedures. I know we talked about EOS prior. That's a great thing to run your company through to do that also and have somebody coach them through the process because they don't know what they don't know. And they nobody, I always love to say, us as entrepreneurs, we never had an enter plan, to be honest. So we either fell into it or we hit the ground running or build the parachute as we fell. And there was no enter plan. So do we ever have an exit plan? Usually not.
0: (laughs) It's so true. I think the only time I really have clients or people who really understand what the exit looks like before the entrance is, They grew up specifically in a very entrepreneurial environment. Either they went to an entrepreneur program or an entrepreneur school, or they've been pitching VCs who have been asking them those types of questions because they're looking for what's the exit. And most people, only I think only 2% of all companies that get started in the United States are funded by venture capitalists. So everything else is going to be funded by family, friends, and fools, I guess is what they call it. Right. Or yourself, your home equity loan or whatever cash you have in your pocket. And most people do fall into these things and they don't fall into them thinking, OK, how am I going to exit this when I want to get out? Just like yeah. most people don't go into a marriage thinking if this doesn't go well, what will the divorce look like? How do we. And and that, that's what attorneys do the prenups around.
1: No, so, and you're right. And to my software company, you're right. That one, I did have to have some sort of an exit, but I focused too much on the money on the end of the rainbow. But but we raised capital from angels. We didn't go the VC route by choice. And you're right. We had a list of possible strategics that would acquire us down the road. We did have that. We didn't have a super fleshed out plan quite yet. So after three years, I exited, but it was like pennies on the dollar. I just had, I didn't want to shut it down, but at least somebody took it over.
0: Yeah. You're building the plan as the money's coming in. Awesome. Hey, Christine, this has been great spending this 40 minutes or so with you. Your energy's infectious. I'm sure your your clients who come to you feel that. How would you like to be contacted if people listen to this and say, wow, well, I want to learn more about Christine McDaniel's business? Do so they just go to the Magnolia Firm website? Yeah, the Magnolia
1: Firm. Yeah, I'm Doncio, But I'm great yeah. on LinkedIn. So any, okay. I love being a resource. If any of your listeners have a question, just message me on LinkedIn. I'm on there all the time.
0: Great. Thanks so much for being on the show.
1: Thanks, Jonathan. It was great.
0: All right. So folks, you heard it like this is an exit planner who's not sometimes planning, but just preparing you to go to market to sell. So if you're in a situation where you can work 10 hours or less in your business, you probably have either a great staff of people and or great systems in place that allow you to do that. And that is great thinking is how can you take a two week Four week vacation, get away from your business completely and know that it's running all by itself. And the answer to me, in my mind, is that you do it with systems, you have a playbook, and you have an outstanding, great team of A players who can run the business in your absence. And that's what it's all about. It's not finance, it's not technology. The competitive advantage, Patrick Lencioni said, is having a great team. Great teams will execute on C quality business plans way better than a poor team executing on an A quality business plan. So there you have it. Folks, if you enjoyed this episode, please share this with others. Give us a great rating on your podcast application choice and go make it a great day. This podcast is sponsored by myself, Jonathan Goldhill and my company, The Goldhill Group where we provide coaching for growing companies. I'm Jonathan Goldville, and my purpose is simple, to guide entrepreneurial leaders in family businesses towards more freedom and fulfillment. I want entrepreneurs to get clarity around the changes that will make them and their businesses more successful so they can experience the same freedom I've enjoyed in my life. Our proven practices challenge business owners to think differently about their business and how they're running it and quite literally become game changers in our clients' companies. Learn more at the goldhillgroup.com website where you can schedule your free strategy session. Thank you for joining us on the Disruptive Successor Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe review, and share with a friend who would benefit from the message. If you're interested in picking up a copy of my book, Disruptive Successor, go to disruptivesuccessor.com.